Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see so many of y'all. And uh, when I was a youth minister, I used to start every Wednesday night with the same thing. And I've been wondering, I, I keep telling Catherine, I want to get there, but I didn't want to just make up something. But uh, one thing I think I'm maybe going to start my sermons off with every week is, I think it's in 2 Corinthians or 2 Thessalonians. Y'all can find it for me. But there's this great line where Paul says, it is because of God's mercy that we've been given this ministry. And I really feel that way about getting to be the preacher here. And so it is a privilege and it is a pleasure and a mercy to get to stand up here and, and be with all of you again today. And for those of you joining online, we're really thankful that you're with us here too. We're starting a new series this week. And this is my, I believe my second favorite book of the Bible, maybe third. Uh, Romans is number one, and then it's either Mark or Ruth. And uh, I love this story, and I'm going to use the word story a lot, but that doesn't mean it's not true. Uh, but you can tell it is written as a beautiful narrative and a beautiful story. It, Ruth would probably be, of all the books uh, of the Bible, one of the easiest ones to make a play out of, because it's written very much like a, where there's a setting for a scene, and then play the scene, and you have the scene that happens, and then you move to the next act. It's, it's incredibly beautifully written, and uh, I'm honored to get to, to we're going to, I think it's going to take us about five weeks to go through Ruth, and so uh, uh, hope you are able to join us for all of those. Um, so before I begin, though, I want to talk about phrases that you've probably all heard before, ones that you've heard maybe in different settings, but you can think of different times where you've heard someone say, you know what, just leave on a high note or uh, quit while you're ahead. I think that's a gambling thing, so hopefully none of you have ever heard that before. Um, get out while you still can or uh, cut your losses, you know, those kind of phrases. And uh, the, the leave on a high note one is one I think you can maybe hear, I can picture maybe a football coach or something that's really successful and, and maybe they're getting towards the end of their career and, and maybe they're starting to either think or people are trying to tell them, you know what, just don't, don't uh, we don't want to see it where you're all your good times, we start to forget your good times because you start to have losing seasons. But you know, just leave on a, a high note or we can think of that maybe with business or something like that. But in all of these, I, I think for the most part, I can think of very sensible times where all of these would make sense. If you, if you, I don't own a business, I've never owned one, but I'm sure if you have had times in business, there's certain times where you have to make some decisions where you see, hey, this product isn't necessarily selling like we thought it would, or this investment isn't necessarily, we gotta, we gotta look it to the future and make some projections about what we think is about to happen. And so we, we need to, we need to just get out while we're ahead, or we need to cut our losses and not keep, you know, uh, messing up this problem by adding to it. And, and so I think that um, we're going to read a story today where uh, you're going to see that it would have made perfect sense for Ruth to cut her losses, uh, but she didn't. And, uh, and so let's read this together. I hope, I hope you don't mind, but we're going to read all of Ruth 1 uh, together. And I'm going to stop along the way, but uh, it's easier to read a big chunk of scripture whenever it's, it's a story. And so I'm going to make little points as we read, uh, but I, I hope you'll turn with me or either follow along here in Ruth 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. The, the narrator, I'm not going to go through everyone, but he gives so many cool details in here. 
Uh, we know that it's during this time in Israel's history where judges are ruling, so it's a pretty hostile time. And we know that there's a famine in the land, which, yes, famines are bad here, but famines would be really bad back there because pretty much everything you ate was from the ground. And uh, things were so bad that they even went to Moab, where Moab would have been their enemy. It would have been a rival country. That would, be, uh, that would not have been a good thing uh, to have to leave, your, leave Israel to go anywhere, let alone to go to Moab. And, uh, and so we see that the, the narrator is telling us this story is looking pretty bad to begin with. Another thing I want to mention, this phrase, the Ephrathites from Bethlehem, uh, we're supposed to know that these people were from the tribe of Caleb, which would have been a, a strong tribe. And uh, I think part of what you're supposed to get the idea is this family from Beverly Hills is having to go and become sharecroppers in another place. You're kind of supposed to get this idea that this is probably a well-to-do family that's having to leave it and go somewhere where things aren't going to be looking as good. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. So we see the story takes a bad turn. And then there's a little bit of hope because Naomi's two sons have gotten married, and so maybe there's some hope for the family that they're going to be able to continue. Now, some people wouldn't be too pleased about them marrying Moabite women, just so you know. That would have been a catch-22. It would have been, oh, I don't like them marrying Moabite women, but at least maybe this means we can continue the family line. But then things really take a turn, a really bad turn, because 10 years, no children, and now Naomi is left in the worst possible place for a woman in this time period. She's older. She can't return to her parents' home because her parents are, are probably not alive. She doesn't have a husband who can help provide for her, and she's probably old enough that she can't have a trade to provide for herself. She can't go out and work. And so she is literally in probably about as dire, a Job-like situation, about as dire as it could be. And uh, that's the setting of our, our, our first scene, first, uh, first uh, backdrop. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living, and they set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness, as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud. And they said to her, We will go back with you to your people. What you should see here is what Naomi is doing is a very kind thing. She's saying, basically as I was saying earlier, I am a sinking ship. Everything going on in my life is going badly, and you still have a chance to have a good life. Go back home, find a husband in your home country, live with your parents, they'll take care of you. Don't, don't tie yourself to me because I'm just, everything's just going down for my life. And she gives them that opportunity. And, and I also want to point out this phrase, may the Lord show you kindness. That word kindness in Hebrew is the where we get the word hesed, which means faithful love. When, when it says that may God's steadfast faithfulness be with you, that's that word. And so she is saying, in the same way that you showed faithfulness and kindness to me and stayed with me even though your husband's passed away, my prayer is that God would continue to show that to you as you leave me and go back to your home. But both of them say, no, we're going to stay with you. So they both show quite a level of commitment here. But Naomi said, she, she insists, she's, she's basically begging them now, please return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. 
I am too old to have another husband, even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight, even if I got married tonight and was able to procreate and have sons, would you wait until they grew up to become their husbands? Now, for those of us who grow up here, this probably doesn't make a lot of sense, but uh, this is part of their custom where if, if because of how difficult it would be for a woman to be on her own in this time period, if someone lost their husband, it was a tradition for the family that a younger son would have to marry that woman and provide children for her so that she could have a stability. And so Naomi's basically saying, y'all, I'm, I'm not going to be able to have another son so that y'all can get married to that son. And then what, are you going to wait till they're older to then have children with them? So she's basically just saying, it makes no sense. Please go back. And then she says, would you re remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. And here we see for the first time, Naomi thinks that everything going on in her life is because God is punishing her for something. And I want you to hold on to that because I know there are many times where you may be going through something in your life where you feel like God is actively against you. And I also know that there are many times where we think that if we were to say something like that, well, God is punishing me, that that would be blasphemy, that that would be, uh, that would mean you don't have a good faith. And, and I want you to see how, even though Naomi says this, I want you to see what God does through her story, even though she believes that God is actively against her. That's one of the themes that we're going to track throughout this. Um, where am I? Okay. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. So Orpah, we don't get, the storyteller doesn't say anything. But basically, I think we're supposed to realize Orpah is not doing something bad by leaving Naomi. She's doing the sensible thing. She's doing a thing that, if anything, Naomi is begging her to, to do it. And Orpah says, okay, I'll, I'll do it. But Ruth clings to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Please go back with her. But Ruth replied, and this is maybe one of the most famous passages in Ruth. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So let's talk a second about the commitment of Ruth. Because I don't think we do justice to just how big a deal this is. Because if you see here this phrase where it says, where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Um, one thing you've got to remember about this is, Naomi is quite a bit older than Ruth. So she's not just saying, I'm going to stick with you until you die. She is saying, even after you die, I am going to stick with you so that I can be buried where you're buried. It's not one of those things that even after Naomi dies, Ruth says, okay, now I can go off on my own and start my own thing. She says, I am so committed to you that I am even going to stay and be with your bones. And I am going to be buried where you are buried. That is an extreme level of commitment. And another thing about this is she even says this part, may God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. She is saying... You think that God is punishing you, and I am saying that if I leave you at all, I pray that he punishes me even more severely than you, because I'm that committed to staying with you. And so we see this, this commitment of Ruth is something that Orpah does the sensible, understandable thing, the thing that no one would say she made a mistake, but we see this admirable and commendable trait of Ruth. 
And, and I'm going to point this out later, but what you're going to see throughout this story is that it's continually reminded that Ruth is a Moabite, not an Israelite. And during this time in Israel's history, it was pretty common that if you wanted to be a part of God's story, if you wanted to be a part of what God was going to do in the world, you had to be an Israelite. And your ability to be saved or to be a part of it had everything to do with whether or not you were a part of the right blood line. And what you're going to see as one of our themes in this story is that the reason why Ruth gets to be a part of God's story and is a part of the lineage of God is because, not because of her blood, but because of her faithfulness and her commitment to Naomi. So let's finish out the, the chapter. So the two, men, two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. The, whole, the, the women exclaimed, you can imagine, oh man, it's exciting, they're back. Can this be Naomi? And she says, don't call me Naomi. Uh, so I haven't said this yet, but the, the, the name Naomi means pleasant or wonderful. And she told them, call me Mara, which means bitter. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full with my husband and my two sons, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me pleasant? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite. Not Ruth, Ruth the Moabite. Her daughter-in-law arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. And so the, the story is set, and we're going to see... There's a lot of amazing things that we're going to see, but we're going to see, and I'll, I'll give you this hint, at no point ever does the storyteller mention God doing anything. At no point does, you know, when you read the story of Joseph, it'll say Joseph was sold into slavery, but God was with him. The storyteller tells us that. Or Joseph was thrown into prison, but God was with him. And the storyteller tells us that. In Ruth, no one ever says but God was with Ruth, but God was with Naomi, ever. But the point that you're going to see throughout this story is that even you can't deny the way God's fingerprints are at work in the story. And that's what we're going to get to see, is how even in our own lives, God is at work in our story, whether we recognize it or see it or not. But what I want to talk about is I want to talk about how the commitment and the faithfulness of Ruth points us to the commitment and the faithfulness of Christ. Because in this story, this is the first big takeaway I want you to have. In this story, we see where we have a very rational, easy opportunity for someone to say, listen, cut your losses. This woman, everything is going bad for her, and it would totally make sense for you as a Moabite to go back to your Moabite family. Just go ahead and cut your losses. And Ruth chooses to stay with Naomi. And here is where we come into the story, because Christ has no reason to tag along with us. If you look at our story in our life, there, there's so many ways in which you could say, God, I, I mess up enough, I screw up enough, I've, I've done enough wrong things that there's no reason for you to align yourself with me because, you know, I'm a lost cause, God. And yet Christ came to say, I am coming and I'm going to stick with you and be committed to you even to the point of death. Just like Ruth said, where you die, I will die. Christ came and he said, actually, I'm going to come and I'm going to be so committed to you that I'm going to die for you first. And I'm going to be, there's no level of, well, you know, Jason has started to do this or started to do that. It's not really worth it for me to die for him anymore. Christ doesn't ask that question. Christ comes and in the same way that Ruth shows this level of commitment that we can't comprehend, Christ says, you won't be able to comprehend the level of faithfulness and commitment that I'm going to show for you, even to the point of dying on the cross for you. I have a, I've been holding on to this sermon illustration because it's like one of the best ones ever, and so I'll probably use it again. But uh, another example of this, um, oh, oh, wait, second point. Oh, man, I got to, 
Take that back. Second point I was going to say. Commit to people, not to greener pastures. This is another thing that I think is a takeaway from this sermon. A lot of times the world is going to tell you, when you start to see your, your life and the fortunes of your life going a certain way, and it's going badly, go ahead and pull back. You know, if, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm connected with this person, but they're kind of going downhill, so I'm going to start to kind of withdraw. I don't want to go sinking with that ship. And the world is going to tell you that all the time. And a, a message of Ruth is, is that you can do that with business. You can do that with, with, you know, whether you're going to buy a house or not. But you don't do it with people in Scripture. You commit to people. And whether they're a sinking ship or not, you commit to being someone who's going to show them love because that's what Christ did for us. Okay, here's my illustration. Um, I don't know if any of you have heard of this man before. His name is Robertson McQuilkin. I wish he could have picked an easier last name to say, but uh, he didn't have any choice. But let me tell you about Robertson. Robertson is the third president, or was the third president, of Columbia International University in Columbia, South Carolina. He graduated from seminary when he was younger, and he taught for two years at Columbia Bible College, and then he became the headmaster at the Ben Lippin School in Asheville, North Carolina. Five years later, he and his wife Muriel and their four children moved to Japan, where for 12 years he planted five churches, winning people to faith in Jesus Christ. And while he was in Japan, he served as the interim president of the Japan Christian College. In 1968, he was called back to Columbia Bible College and Seminary, where he served as the president of that college for 22 years. In 1990, McQuilkin resigned the presidency to care for his wife, Muriel, who had advanced stages of Alzheimer's disease. McQuilkin cared for his wife for the next 12 years, and upon his resignation, he delivered a speech that has been heard by tens of thousands of people around the world. And so we're going to play a little bit of that, uh, that resignation speech. I hope you can hear it. I haven't in my life experienced easy decision-making on major decisions, but uh, one of the simplest and clearest decisions I've had to make is this one, because circumstances dictated it. Uh, Muriel, now, uh, in the last couple of months, seems to be almost happy when with me, and almost never happy when not with me. In fact. She seems to feel trapped, becomes very fearful, sometimes almost terror. And when she can't get to me, there can be anger. She's in distress. But when I'm with her, she's happy and contented. And so I must be with her at all times. And you see, it's not only that I promised in sickness and in health, Till death do us part. And I'm a man of my word. But as I have said, I don't know with this group, but I've said publicly it's the only fair thing she sacrificed for me for 40 years to make my life possible. So, if I cared for her for 40 years, I'd still be in debt. However, there's much more. It's not that I have to, it's that I get to. I love her very dearly, and you can tell it's not easy to talk about. She's a delight. It's a great honor to care for such a wonderful person. There are tissues on the end of the row. <laughs> um, you aren't born like that. 
Robertson wasn't born with that level of faithfulness and commitment. You become a person like that because you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you become a person who's able to commit like that because you met someone and his name was Jesus Christ who said, I'm going to die for you. And when you can say the words, she's given her life for me, how could I not? If I, if I, if I was with her for 40 years, I'd still be in her debt. And that's because he's fully aware that what she's been with him is a gift. And, and Christ has done that for us. Christ has come and he died for us. And, and we get to be people who are able to commit to others and able to commit and stick with others, not because, oh, well, we're just that kind, but because we know we're people who didn't deserve to be stuck with, but Christ stuck with us. And when you know the love of Christ, the, the love of the debt of someone dying for you, you're able to start to be transformed more and more into someone who's able to do that for others, like Ruth did for Naomi. So my prayer is, is that if any of you have anything that you need prayers about, we can, I'd love to talk with you at this time. And if any of you would like to know about the commitment that comes from knowing Jesus Christ, then I'd love if you would come forward and talk with me about that and we can begin that process. Or anytime this week, you are welcome to come and talk with me because you have a Savior who is that committed to you. And uh, I hope you would turn and accept that and, and join his invitation to, to be called his, his child and to, to experience that new life. Let's stand and sing this song.